Lord, we come to your word this morning, and we thank you that you are so generous to speak to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you care so much for us that you have inspired these words in the Bible. We thank you, God, that we have this ready access to English Bibles of so many different translations and renderings. And in the midst of it, we thank you that you pour out your spirit into your word so that the true meaning of it comes to us. And so we invite you, Lord, to come and we look some more into those words that you spoke when you were here. We invite you to come and tell us by your spirit what they, what they meant so that we can know what they mean. I thank you for every person here, Lord. I thank you for the people who have been over this passage a thousand times. I thank you for the people for whom this will be the first time they've ever seen these words. I thank you for them equally. I thank you for everybody in between. Thank you for this church, the place where the likes of us can come and find life. Find life in the one who gave his life for us. It's his name we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue through the Sermon on the Mount uh, until I get some fresh direction from the Lord. Uh, we'll just uh, sit here, okay, for a while and let the Lord speak to us. We're all the way up to Matthew chapter 6. We spent the last few weeks there, if you're new to us. Uh, Last few weeks in Matthew chapter 5, and we're up to Matthew chapter 6 now. Uh, as we looked up uh, in the earlier chapters, Jesus said nine times, I want you to be happy, but don't get too excited. Uh, my happiness is exactly the opposite way of the world. So he told us next, I want to do a radical transformation into you. in you. I want to turn you into salt and light. I want to do something so powerful inside of you. And then last week, he told us that he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And he showed us that connection between Old Testament law and New Testament grace. And he, and he showed us that uh, we're, we're now beyond the engagement, and we are invited into the liberty of a relationship with him as the bride of Christ. And that was pretty cool. And I love just to watch you guys as I was sharing that picture that I had about, about the wedding and uh, just watching the spirit work in your hearts. And that was a real privilege for me to be able to share that. Today, we're going to uh, flip to Matthew chapter 6 as we just continue through progressively in this passage. I'm not going to read them all, but we'll be, we'll be talking about the first 24 verses. But the first verse, he says, be careful. Be careful. I think when Jesus says, be careful, we should pay attention to what he says next, yeah? Be careful. Because when he says, be careful, he's saying there's danger ahead. There's real danger ahead. You ever tell your kids to be careful? They're riding their bikes, standing on the handlebars or something. Be careful. There's danger ahead, yes? Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? Jesus starts this next section by saying, be careful. There's danger ahead. What could the danger be, I wonder? Don't look. Don't look. What could that danger be? Be careful. Let's see. Not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do so, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. What? He says, be careful. Be careful. Be very careful. Not to, not to accept a lifestyle of religious works for relationship with God. He says, be very careful. Because one of the easiest things that we can do is slip in to a habit of going to church and doing the thing and miss the reason we were doing it in the first place, which is to have a relationship with God, right? 
So he says, be careful, because there's real danger ahead that, it, that it, the possibility exists that we could trade our relationship with God for something so much less. So he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. And he's going to give us a few examples to be seen by others, to go, wow, that guy's pretty cool. Look at him. He says, because if if that's why you're doing it, if that's your core motivation, then the reward that you receive by being acknowledged by men will take the place of the cool thing that God wants to do, which is what you really want, right? You're not here to get patted on the head by somebody, are you? You're here to come into an encounter with the living God. So he says, be careful. Be careful to do what? To obey every jot and tittle of the law? No, he said, I fulfilled that for you. To be careful? Be careful not to drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do? Is it a set of rules and regulations? Be careful now. I've told you before, I strike out on two of those. I'll let you figure out which one. Be careful. To be sure, he's saying, be careful to be sure to go to church every Sunday. Carry your Bible with you wherever you go. Be known as that guy at work. Is that what he's saying, be careful to do? Not at all. He's saying, be careful to be sure that you have a truly authentic relationship with the living God. And don't settle for something so much less. Then he goes on and he gives three specific areas in which we are to exercise particular care. First, he says, be careful in giving your money to the needy. Now, this is something that our our church does and we do as believers. We live in the context of a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and so we're always looking for ways to bless the poor. I love that about this church. And I'm sure when Queenie comes next week, she'll tell a story or two about the way you have been such a blessing to very needy people in India. But he, he says, be careful how you do that. Don't do that. Listen, he says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. I remember bringing a message a year or more ago, I suppose by now, given some historical and cultural context to that phrase, announcing it with trumpets. And some of you may remember that in the temple there were these vessels that received people's offerings. And there were several of these, and they each had kind of designated funds. One was alms for the poor. And they were big brass things that took the money, sucked it in once it was there, and you couldn't get your hand down in it to get it back. And they were made out of brass, and because of the way they came up, they resembled a trumpet, and so they were called the trumpets. And so Jesus is saying, when you give to the poor, don't go sounding your trumpet as the hypocrites, as the Pharisees do, because they would go in and they would go, clink, 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 look at me. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. Do it secretly. Do it privately. Do it without any expectation of everybody, anybody noticing your generosity. And then he goes on to say, he says, and when you pray, he says, when you pray, next, don't, don't be so concerned about being in front of people and praying great prayers in front of people. It'll happen. 
There's a, there's a biblical and a cultural context for group prayer, isn't there? Of course there is. But he's saying, when you pray, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into a closet somewhere. I want you to shut the door. Actually, there's kind of a really cool expression of this that maybe some of you have seen before. But these, these Pharisees and, and many Jewish men would wear these prayer shawls that went over their heads, came all the way down. And as they took these prayer shawls, they had a, they had a phrase. When they take these prayer shawls, and wherever they were, they would take them, and can you imagine them just ha- hanging down like this? Yes? And they would close them like this, and put it on their head, and they would call that their prayer closet. Wherever they were, they could just take that, prayer, that shawl, and just put it like this, put their head down, and they're in the closet. So Jesus would have been referring to that, saying, when you pray... Because these guys would love to stand and go, watch me pray. And he'd say, go go, go close the door. Go close the door. Because at the core of prayer is a spirit of intimacy with God, isn't there? At the very foundation of prayer is the opportunity to be a son, a daughter of the living God who comes to love you and bless you and speak things to you. That's That's the, at the core of prayer is that kind of intimacy. And so he says, don't, don't get sidetracked in your praying by thinking that the purpose of your prayer is to be able to pray well at your life group or the church service or whatever. That's not it. You will pray well, if you will, if there were a standard in public when you learn to pray intimately in private. I promise you that. And God is inviting us. So he says, go somewhere secret. And when he says, then your father who hears in secret will reward you. Well, what are you going to get? Money and cars? New wife? What are you going to get? What's, what's the reward of the Father? The Father, exactly. It's the Father. It's encountering His presence. Some of you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing like it, is there? We'll get to that in a minute. But He says, when you pray, be careful that you don't do it wrong. Because you'll miss it. You'll be trading in the approval of men, saying, wow, that guy can really pray. You're really good at that. For the reward, which is the Father. And then he says when you fast, and for those of you who are new, fasting means going without food. And it's all throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes there would be public fasts, and sometimes there would be private fasts. But he says when you fast as a way of drawing closer to the Lord, don't make a big fuss about it. Say, I'm fasting. No, none for me. I'm fasting. But he says, when you fast, he says, we'll wash your face. Put on your Hawaiian shirt. Man, go to work. That's going to be just the most exuberant day of your life. He says, then your father who sees your fasting secretly will reward you. So he's talking about this intimacy thing, isn't he? This intimacy thing. And then he puts the exclamation point on, on those three things by giving us the next passage by saying, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your what? Your heart will be also. See, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's saying, I want to have a heart-to-heart relationship with you. Jason, you're my son. I want to know your heart. I want to share my heart with you. This is throughout the Scripture. And he says, anything less, settling for religion, even if it's religion you enjoy, 
will be settling for something so much less than what it is that God is offering. So he says, be real careful as you go through this, that you don't settle for religion, even religion you like. Because we have religion here. I mean, religion can happen, empty religion can happen anytime a group of people do the same thing. Right? Now, for most of us, this is still a fresh enough thing that there's a lot of opportunity for life in our relationship with God, so it's not religious. But this, the vineyard, could become religious emptiness. If you just come in to listen to the band or wonder if the tall bald guy's going to be funny this week or if he's out of sorts or whatever, you know, whatever the deal is, that you can fall into a pattern of religion. Even in Bible study, you can fall into a pattern of religion. Well, I have read this many books. I have studied this. I, have, I can parse the Greek. I can whatever. Big deal. Do you know God? Is what he's saying. Because at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, again, what does he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. He says, I want to know you. And I want you to know me. This is the core of the Christian relationship with God. Okay. So we have to be careful. And we have to be careful that we're not doing stuff, he says, for the approval of others. And that can be a pretty slippery slope, right? Because, hello, we have a natural desire to be approved by others, don't we? I mean, we don't want to be disapproved. But he says, watch that, because that can become an addiction in and of itself, where you live for the approval of others. You spin things in certain ways so that you don't get disapproval back. Hello? You give people bad things, things you know are bad for them because you want their approval. What do you call that? Enabling? Is that a codependency? Is there, is there, is there, hello? Is there a word for that, Doug? <laughs> yeah. Be careful. Because he said it's, it's what's on the inside that counts. It's what happens in secret that counts. Jesus was fully critical of the Pharisees for their preoccupation with the external. If you turn to Matthew chapter 23, it's a few pages over from where we are in Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 23, we just turn there. So Jesus is laying out these seven, I think, woes to the Pharisees. Woe. Woe to you. It's not like, whoa, stop. Like, whoa, Nellie Bell. It's like, whoa. It's a rebuke. And one of, the, one of the places in verse 25, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. See, they had certain ways religiously of even handling their, their dishes. And you had to do it certain ways, or you were doing it wrong. And Jesus said, you're concentrating on the wrong things. He says, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Ladies and gentlemen, with Jesus Christ, it's always an inside job. It's always deep inside. It always has to start inside. Always has to start inside. Don't get caught up in any kind of a church life that just emphasizes the externals. It has to start on the inside and let the externals flow from that. Or it's hypocrisy. Because if we're acting on the outside in a way that is truly different from what's on the inside, that's the very definition of hypocrisy. Woe to you, teachers of the law, verse 27, and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything evil, or everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to be people as, you appear to people as righteous, 
but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. It's got to start on the inside. It's got to start. Something has to happen. Something has to click. Because you have a desire for God on the inside, don't you? That's why you're here. There's lots of other cool stuff you could be doing this morning, right? Yeah. Go to Bob Evans for a big old breakfast. Come on, there's lots of cool stuff you could be doing this morning. But you are here not because of your religion, but because of your hunger for God. You want God. Some of you encounter God. Many of you encounter God. You know what I think would be useful? Is if we could kind of open this up for a real brief discussion here among you. Is, you know, there are, so we talk about encountering God in the interior. What do we mean by that? I mean... There are some of you who know exactly what you mean when you say, I, I experience God on the inside this way. I'm going to give you a minute to share, in a minute to share that real briefly. But there are some of you, and maybe many of you, I don't know, who are saying, I'm here because I want what you're talking about. I believe you. you know, I know you're not lying to me. You're telling me the truth. I believe you. What is it that you're talking about that's supposed to be going on on the inside? What qualifies as an encounter with God? Okay. So let's talk, and uh, just raise your hand when you want to share. And be real brief, but what do you mean when you say you experience God on the inside? Who wants to go first? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you what she said. She said that she came in here and she wanted to sing, but because of surgery, stop me where I get off track, you were not able to sing. But instead, you came up here, and when you came up here, you said you experienced a warmth. It was like a physical thing, a physical warmth in your body, and you opened your mouth to sing, and you could sing. Is that right? All right. That qualifies. Now, now don't be... Don't be, you know, like nervous, like, oh, man, I can't top that. Don't do that. Just, what do you mean? Yeah, way in the back. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it was a feeling, something, something... That counts. All right, he feels brand new and alive. Somebody he didn't know prayed for him, and boom. Yeah, Maggie. Okay, so I'm hearing a theme that it's a warmth from the three of you, some, some kind of tingly inside. Can anybody go in any different direction? Kevin. Okay, so go back to what do you mean you're prompted by the Holy Spirit? I'm sure there are people going like, what does that even mean? I mean, does he come out and say, hey, Kevin, what happens? So, it's a, so this is an internal compulsion that you suddenly have. Okay, anybody relate to that? It's like you're going to, you're going to, you just got to do something. Okay, 
Yeah. Somebody else. How do you know you're encountering God, John? Yeah. That's a good one. Okay. So you have a sense of assurance. Okay, what is assurance? What is the opposite of that? What, what is that fixing? I have no idea what you're talking about. Let's go on to somebody else. <laughs> somebody else. Yeah, Karen. Yeah. Okay. So when they were trying to adopt and desperately want a child, they were told, it's probably not going to happen, probably not going to happen, don't get your hopes up. But she's saying she had a counterintuitive message inside of you that, that was full of peace, and you said, no, this, this child's ours. And you're a pretty rational person for the most part. Is that true? I'll ask Brian. Is she pretty rational? <laughs> yeah. You strike me as a rational sort of analytical type person. And, um, and, and so you're saying you, you could sort of fought that you took the counterintuitive message of peace, and you took that to be from God. Yeah, and, and you know, it's like, I tend to be somebody that can help her and get nervous and want to know everything. And yeah. God was pretty on me. Absolutely, she came back. This is going to be okay. She's going to come home. How long was it after that that she came home? From the day she decided to adopt her, she came home for 42 days. 42 days, okay. Keep going. Just, thank you, Justin. He says it makes you weak, but it gives you power. You, you need to go with John somewhere. I don't know what the heck you're doing. I got I to do new, new people, Maggie. Yes, real short. Mine, Betty. Don't talk about your husband. You're not sitting here. No, 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 don't do that. Just... Wait, so you're saying that God did a physical bypass on his heart so the blood was going where it was meant to go? Sure. Okay. I believe you. Praise the Lord. Now listen, here's what I want you to do. I want about three more. Would you dial it down? Would you dial it down? Can we, What's... What start, and by dialing it down, I mean, what's the basic, fundamental experience that you have that says, I just encountered God? So let's just get it down to, okay, go, go real short, Mike.
Beautiful. So he's saying he was up here saying, restore me, and he felt chills go down his body and happiness. Yes. Well, that's cool. Monica in the back, way back. Real short. Okay, thanks. We gotta stop. Sorry. I don't know if you heard something in this mixture of things that was just said that causes you to go, maybe I have experienced God. I want to promise you, if you didn't, that there are more, more basic, less dramatic, if you will, experiences with God that are every bit as valid. And there is a journey that, you, that you're on that starts by embracing the small things and moving into the bigger things. And I know sometimes it would be hard to try to share something basic when some of these amazing things were just shared. It's like, I don't know, I just kind of feel cool. You know, but these things are just as valid. I can't see who's standing up back there. Oh, Okay. Okay. Thank you, Karen. If you knew the journey that she's been on recently, that would have a context. So I know there's like nine of you that want to say something, but it's my turn again, okay? <laughs> Listen, here's the deal. Here's the point I'm trying to make, is that Jesus, Jesus says... It's not about religion, it's about relationship. Do not settle for religion, do not settle for knowledge about me when I want to give you knowledge of me. I want you to know me, I want to know you, I want to have encounter with you. And some of you have been trying this for a long time and maybe you're discouraged that you, you, you can't think of a thing that you would lend to this. I, prom- I, mean, I promise you from the scriptures, the Bible says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. All right, Stay with it, stay with it. Because the Lord wants to have relationship with you, and it's equally available to every person. I do not believe that the Bible supports, the New Testament at least, supports a view that some people are so special that they're going to have these, these kinds of encounters, whereas the rest of you have to live off of them. That's a priesthood which is forbidden in the New Testament, okay? You are meant to have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is your birthright. And if you know in the book of Genesis where Jacob and Esau were born to Isaac, and we always say Jacob and Esau even though the birth order is Esau and Jacob, correct? Why do we say Jacob and Esau? Because on a day that that Esau was very hungry, he said, give me that food. And Jacob said, well, give me your birthright then. And he traded his birthright for a mess of pottage. He had the birthright to be the son of Isaac and to carry this on. He had the birthright, and he gave it up because he settled for something less. 
And that's the point of that, is that God wants to have relationship with every single one of us. Do not trade in your birthright as a son or daughter of the living God for empty religion. God wants to know you. Father, we just pray your blessing on this word. I thank you for these people and their willingness to share. I pray the power of the Lord to come. And in these remaining moments that we have set aside to to do this thing together, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be here to uh, build on this thing that has been birthed this morning. Thank you, Father. I, I pray that you will help people out of bad religion. I pray that you'll help them out so that they can be free in the context of relationship with you. I pray that you'll show them the way out of legalistic bondage into the power of relationship with you. I pray, Father, that you will come for every heart that says, I want to know you, God. I want to encounter you. I want to encounter you. I pray that you'll come for every heart and that you'll show yourself to them, Lord. You said wherever we gather in your name, you'll come. I have every confidence, every knowledge that you're here among us. So I pray that you will visit every heart, every mind, every body that presents themselves to you for authentic encounter with you now. Let's stand together, church. Let's move into the presence of the Lord. Let's have some prayer ministry people come on up, please.